Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We come this morning to the Ninth Commandment, and specifically to what is forbidden in the Ninth Commandment. It's verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Or the alternative translation, you shall not testify against your neighbor as a false witness. Let's pray. Father, help us to speak the truth, to live the truth, to love the truth. And Father, keep us from lying. Take away from me the way of lying and graciously grant me your law. Pray that we would be a truthful people, a people who shun lies. You cannot lie. Make us like you. Make us like your son who had no guile in his mouth. Father, help me to speak accurately, to tell the truth, to proclaim the truth today. And change our hearts to make us more truthful, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of my classmates from college, uh, I ran into him a few years ago at a work training event for my HSLDA English teaching job. And he, turns out, is getting a PhD in philosophical ethics with a focus on lying. I said, really, Guido, you're getting a PhD in lying? Yes, that's right, he said. And I said, and do you have plans to be a politician? No, no plans to enter politics. But God's people should not have a PhD in lying. We, we understand that. But we're going to talk about lying for the next half hour or so. There are many places you can go with what's forbidden in the Ninth Commandment. Lying is just one facet of this commandment. But lying is a big facet, and so we're going to spend the whole time talking about lying, what it is, what's wrong with it, and mostly how we do it. It's an easy sin to do. Certainly, I've noticed this past week after preaching about telling the truth, I found that, wow, this made no difference. The sermon hasn't made me any more truthful. Not because there was no room for improvement, but because I still like to exaggerate and do all the things I told you not to do. So listen to God's word, and I will listen to it too. Let's hear about what lying is, why it's wrong, and plead with God to tame our tongues so that we are people who speak the truth. The ninth commandment forbids lying because Jesus loves the truth. We start with a definition of lying. What is lying? (laughs) Lying is an assertion contrary to the speaker's mind. Lying is an assertion contrary to the speaker's mind. In other words, lying, first of all, has to be an assertion. For me to stand up here and say, to be or not to be, that is the question. You don't sit out there and say, does he really think he's Prince Hamlet? What a liar, right? Acting is not making assertions. Playing a part is not making an assertion. Asking a question is not making an assertion in a technical way. You can, people can take an assertion out of a question, but a question as such is not a declarative statement or a proposition. Lying has to be a direct statement that something is the case 
And it has to be a statement that disagrees with what you honestly believe to be the case. Lying, then, is a bifurcation between what comes out of your mouth and what is in your mind. So, this gets us close to the territory of deception. Let me just say a few words about deception. Deception and lying are not the same thing. To deceive is not always the purpose of a lie. Right? One can imagine, for instance, a situation, I got this example from a book on lying, but a situation where a student has been caught cheating. Now, he knows the dean is a very generous man and will forgive any instance of plagiarism if the student simply says it was unintentional. And so, it's, the student knows that it was intentional. The dean knows that it was intentional. But the dean is a stickler for the letter of the law, and so the student comes in and says, it was unintentional. And the dean lets him off the hook. Now that was a lie. It was intentional. The student lies by claiming that it's unintentional. But the student didn't intend to deceive the dean. He knows the dean sees through him. Lying is not always intended to deceive. And so the element of deception isn't technically part of the lie, right? Because you can think of counterexamples where it's still a lie, even though it deceives no one. This happens all the time on the campaign trail. Well, lying is wrong. Period. Full stop. Lying is wrong. Deception is not always wrong, which is why we're not going to talk about deception today. We're going to talk about lying. Lying is an assertion contrary to the speaker's mind. Lying is a sin. And lying is not a piddling little sin either. Even the little white lie, small lies are still lies and are still sins against God. Lying is such a great sin because it is so contrary to the nature of God. God cannot lie. He is incapable of having a split between what is in his mind and what comes out of his mouth. Or better, right? there is no difference between what is in the Father's mind and what is in the Father's word. The word of the Father is a completely, totally, 100% accurate record of what is in the Father's mind. The word of the Father will never disagree with the thought or the mind of the Father. So, for us to imitate God requires that we never lie, that we never make an assertion contrary to what's in our mind. David says this, imitating God in Psalm 101, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him will I destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. Right? As the ruler of God's kingdom, David says, I am going to destroy, cut off any liar. Somebody tells a lie, they're gone from my kingdom. Uh, Solomon adds, Proverbs 19, which is in your bulletin, a false witness will not go unpunished. He who tells lies will not escape. And Psalm 5 tells us, relates this directly to the character of God. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. 
Right? How does God feel about liars? He abhors them. It's not God is moderately displeased by lies. No, God abhors lies. He is revolted by this sin in the deepest depths of his being. God speaks the truth. The word of the Father is trustworthy. All of his words are true. We are supposed to be like God, and therefore lying is a sin that is forbidden to the Christian. We can add, though, that lying is not just contrary to divine integrity and divine truthfulness, it's also contrary to human integrity. Once you have opened up the possibility of a divergence between what's in your thoughts and what's in your mouth, anything can come out of your mouth. You can say whatever you want once you have started down the path of lying. You are no longer bound by the truth, no longer bound by reality. If your thoughts are different from your words, if your words are different from what your thoughts are, what you genuinely believe to be the case, your integrity has been torpedoed. It's gone. Integrity means wholeness. And if you have two different parts, what you said and what you thought, then you are no longer a person with integrity. Now that said, lying is an easy sin to fall into. All of the sins uh, are easy in varying degrees, but this one especially, right? The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It just pops out of our mouth before, oftentimes, it even feels like we've made the decision to lie or to shade the truth. What did Mark Twain say? A lie is an abomination to the Lord and a very present help in time of trouble. That is how so many people approach this, including all of us. Well, the easiest thing is to be like the student and just say, the plagiarism was unintentional. And I'm off the hook and everything goes back to normal because I told a little lie and I didn't even deceive anyone. Therefore, not bad. But lying is still something that God abhors. So, it's easy. How do we sin this sin? Well, the first category I want to talk about is shading the truth. I'm not flat out saying something totally wrong. I'm just presenting an account that is very one-sided. An account that leaves out certain key details. Or an account that is based on a true story, kind of in the Hollywood sense. There's some incident out there in the world or in my past that bears a faint resemblance to the thing that I am about to say. Telling more than you know is exhibit A here. Someone asks you a question and says, what about this? And you say, well, I think I remember something and I can make up something and I can put together kind of some half-forgotten knowledge with some uh, plausible words and got it, right? Telling more than I know. Now, this is a common sin of students. I will just sit down and take the exam, uh, put down whatever pops into my head and that should be good enough. But it's not just students who are asked questions on exams who make stuff up. We all have this habit of telling more than we know. Flattery. This is telling more than you know, 
or shading the truth with a particular goal in mind of manipulating somebody. Flattery means excessive praise directed towards somebody else or even, of course, yourself. Excessive praise, and typically, why would you praise someone excessively? Well, to make them putty in your hands. If you tell them all these things that are manifestly untrue, but build them up, blow their bubble, make them feel great, then they will do what you want because they don't want you to stop. Flattery is a very effective tool. And it's a sin. It may just be shading the truth. It may be even a worse version of flattery that ignores the truth altogether. But flattery is a tool that people enjoy using. And the flip side of flattery, the other end of the tool, is criticism. Where rather than building you up or telling you all these lies about how wonderful you are, the criticism side of it is, I will tell you all these untruths or one-sided half-truths about how awful you are. I will tear into you and let you have it this way and that way and the other way. Right? If the wife is angry and tears into her husband for two and a half hours, there are lies in there. Even if everything she says is based in facts, the account has become so one-sided as to be indistinguishable from a lie. You can flatter to get your way. You can criticize to get your way. We all know people who are the walking time bomb. You know that if you say the wrong thing, they will erupt in this volcano of criticism and belch the lava of their criticism onto you until you say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I wish I had never brought it up. That is a form of lying. To only emphasize someone's good points, only emphasize their bad points, either way, right? Flattery, criticism, two sides of the same coin, two ends of the same wrench that's used or two ends of the same crowbar, rather, that's used to pry people into, lever people into situations where they do what you want. That is lying. And another form of shading the truth, not maybe so evil as flattery and criticism, but still wrong, exaggeration and carelessness. An example that came to mind right away is to take a fact that you heard and bump it up by a small factor. Thus, a statement like this, and this example might sound manifestly ridiculous, but we have a fact. The population of Mexico is 132 million. I just looked it up and I copied it down carefully. There are actually, as far as we can tell, 132 million Mexicans. Now, you can bump that up to there are 200 million Mexicans ready to surge across the southern border and swamp our American way of life. Then you've taken a fact and turned it into a lie. Exaggerating 132 million into 200 million, misstating their intentions, right? The vast majority of Mexicans, like other people, have no interest in living anywhere but where they were born, and so on, is just plain lying. Don't take a fact, bump it up, that's what we call exaggeration, and then make it sound scary. That is a form of lying. And then, not caring when you're convicted of exaggeration, right? You shoot your mouth off and you say something exaggerated, and somebody around you says, wait a second, says here that 
there's only 132 million Mexicans. And you know what? Mexico has been there for hundreds of years and it's still there. People haven't all left it. They're not going to all leave it now. Uh, somebody says that to you and you say, I don't care. I still believe what I just said. Not caring when you're convicted of exaggeration is worse than the original exaggeration. It shows a disregard for the truth, failure to care whether you're lying. Now, you could say, well, somebody who makes these exaggerated statements isn't lying, right? It's not an assertion contrary to their mind. They really think that 200 million Mexicans are going to come across the southern border. But if that's true, unfortunately, right, that doesn't exempt them. Your thoughts don't get off the hook. You can have lying thoughts. A lie verbally is an assertion contrary to the speaker's mind, but a thinking that is out of touch with reality, thinking that's out of touch with the truth, is the source of many of our lies. We say something that's, well, I think it's true, but that's because our thinking is undisciplined by the real world. The opposite of exaggeration, the other end of this stick, is when we come to confess our sins. And most of us, in that moment of confession, the exaggeration is the furthest thing from our minds. I don't want to play up my sin. I want to play down my sin. I want to you know, mark it down to five or ten cents on the dollar. I sinned X sin. But if it's a sin that I continued in, right? Financial sin, I wasted $5,000 on purchases that were not authorized in terms of the family budget, things that I know my wife would have disapproved of, things that I would disapprove of in my sober moments. I come to her to confess, and I play it down to $250. Well, I bought this thing that I shouldn't have bought. Well, right, hiding, excusing, bumping it down, extenuating, my sin is not so bad because A, B, and C are all reasons why it's justified, and then D, I'm only going to tell you a fraction of what I actually did. It's the opposite of exaggerating. It's incomplete confession and repentance, and it's a sin. The more frequently you're indulging in sin, the more habitual you are in sin, then the more habitual you are in lying as you try unsuccessfully to conceal those sins. It's amazing how you can tell yourself, I have a whole closet of clothes that don't fit, but I'm not overweight. I have a whole pile of unopened credit card bills, but I'm not in debt. I have... right. We lie to ourselves. We don't confess our sins. We won't admit where we're at. I talked about this last week in terms of loving the truth. We shade the truth to the point where it becomes a lie. And that is especially the case when it comes to issues of personal integrity. But not only do we shade the truth, we can flat out ignore the truth. Again, by treating assumptions as facts. I talked about this at length last week. I put two and two together about so-and-so, and I think X is the case. Therefore, I believe X is the case. 
Right? My assumption has become a fact in my mind. But as easy as it is to lie for yourself, to make your own assumptions, to tell your own lies, it might be even easier to listen to someone else's lies. Liars stop talking when you stop listening. No one was listening, they would stop broadcasting. The sin of listening to lies is particularly acute when it comes to believing the claim without checking up on it. Right? Trust, but verify. Trust is important. I'm not saying adopt a hermeneutic of suspicion and say, I don't believe anything that anyone tells me ever. But also say, I never verify anything that anyone tells me ever is a sin against the truth. This is important for people you don't know, the news anchors and the politicians far away. But it's trebly important for people you do know. Right? The employee has a suspicious habit of absenteeism. And you just believe that, yeah, man, he just trips on his carpet a lot. He just falls into the wall a lot. He just, he's just a klutz. Or you say, hmm, this is looking a lot more like a substance abuse problem. Or family at church, dad very handsome and convincing. The mom very mousy and just seems very withdrawn and scared and weird. Uh, right? Dad just explains that mom has mental problems. And eventually, right, either you believe that or you say, I think we're looking at an abusive family here where dad has this gift of gab and he uses it to cow and beat up the rest of the family who then withdraw and start to think they have mental problems. Believing the first report you hear, accepting surface appearances, accepting excuses, these are also forms of listening to lies. You take someone else's lie, and if you buy it, you swallow it hook, line, and sinker, it has become your lie. So I talked about this last week in terms of sharing information on social media. But again, the damage is usually worse when it comes to people you know, people you live with, people you work with. I don't want to believe that my kid has a substance abuse problem. Therefore, I believe their excuses. I don't want to believe that my kid is failing the class. Therefore, I ignore the evidence. I don't want to believe, like I said, that I'm fat, that my pastor is having an affair, that there's this or that, or the other, where the evidence is there and I turn my face away because the lie is more comfortable. Liars stop talking if we stop listening. So don't listen to the liar. Verify before you believe. This is true not just for people you know, but also for ideologies, paradigms. We talked about these last week as well. There's large-scale ideologies that can blind us to the truth. Like the idea that my political opponent is by definition not operating in good faith. If somebody has the letter of the other party after their name, they must be an evil person with bad motives. Some people have that ideology seemingly glued to their face. There's other well-known ideologies out there, right? The state must own the means of production. Black people are victims, full stop. The patriarchy is oppressing women everywhere. These are paradigms that people around us believe and operate on the basis of. And they are dangerous. 
they are deadly. They destroy our attachment to the truth. But there's also kind of small-scale or local domestic ideologies of this same brand. My husband is always trying to disrespect me. Right? Anything my husband says is most likely an attempt to undercut me and tear me down. And I treat all of his words as such. Or, my children are more than I can handle. I can't do this. I can't be mother to this crew. It's too much. Or in the workplace, my colleagues are lazy bums. I'm the one holding this place together and the rest of them are worthless. We can wear ideological blinders on the large scale or the small scale. Now, others can come right back at us and say, well, you say you're a Christian. You filter everything through the paradigm that Jesus is Lord. Isn't that an ideology? Doesn't that blind you? How do we respond to that? We say, an ideology is something that is incorrigible and unwilling to consider any contrary evidence. Right? You speak to a true Marxist and you can tell him communism has failed every time it's been tried and he will say, wasn't tried right. If the state really owned the means of production, all would be well. He's impervious to evidence. Well, what about us? Could somebody bring us evidence that says Jesus is not Lord? Let me put it this way, right? We say that Jesus is Lord, but we also pair that with its opposite, or seemingly its opposite, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We have both. We claim that Jesus is strong enough to beat death and also that he is weak enough to die. We accept the evidence on both sides of that equation. We don't have a mono-explanation that simply is Jesus always wins. If somebody says, well, what about the time he didn't win? We say, well, yes, there was that time. Jesus lost. Jesus died. Satan won, but actually Jesus won by losing. We admit that, we acknowledge that in a way that the communist will never acknowledge that socialism can't exist without capitalism. The feminist will never acknowledge that feminism can't exist without patriarchy. They're wearing ideological blinders. We're not. We admit the weakness and the death and the suffering of Jesus right alongside his lordship and his conquering and his ruling. He's both. And a true ideology can never admit that. So don't succumb to any reductive ideology that insists that its mono-explanation is the one and only truth. The Christian faith is as large as heaven and earth. And the other ideologies, ideologies out there are not. Well, we come from the sublime, world-altering ideologies to the low level, the ridiculous Saying you'll be there and not being there. Saying one thing and doing another. Right? Jesus told the parable. The father says, go work in the vineyard. And the son says, I'll go, dad, and doesn't go. And the other son says, I won't go, and does go. Those are lies. You say you'll be there, be there. 
If you aren't going to be there, say, I won't be there. Keep your word. You can say one thing and do another. And we frequently do. Finally, we sin by resenting the truth, by not wanting the truth to be true. The thing that drives our resentment of the truth is pride. I am impressive. The truth comes along and says, no, you're not impressive. And we say, shut up, truth. I resent that remark. I don't want you to tell me I'm not impressive because I am impressive. Pride is the enemy of the truth because truth deflates and destroys pride. Pride says you're the greatest. Truth says you're probably pretty close to average. Pride says you're always right. Truth says you're often wrong. Pride denies repentance. Pride denies humbling. Pride denies correction. The truth says you need repentance. You need humbling. You need correction. If you walk in pride, you will hate the truth. Self-will, right? I will do what I want, and I will refuse to consider any evidence, anyone, anything that says you shouldn't have done that. Right? I yell at my kid in the restaurant. Then my conscience comes along and says, you probably shouldn't have yelled at your kid in front of the whole restaurant. And I say, yes, I should have. That was the right thing to do. He deserved it. That's self-will that shuts down the truth because the truth would prevent me from doing what I want, having what I want, and so I run to the lie. Rejecting correction, same thing. Someone outside of you comes along and says, hey, that was wrong. And you say, you're a horrible, evil person. You must hate my grandmother. And you just go on the attack because you reject correction. By the way, who's authorized to correct the Christian? The answer is anyone and everyone, including pots and kettles that are much dirtier than you. There are people out there who believe my inferiors are not allowed to correct me. Child, keep your mouth shut. Or husbands who say, wife, keep your mouth shut. Pastors who say, church member, keep your mouth shut. That is not the way of the gospel, not the way of the cross. Just look at Gad and Nathan confronting David. Right? They're his prophets. They work for him. They live on his dime in his court. They're his inferiors, but they come to him and say, you're the man. Your inferiors, yes, have a duty to correct you. I mean, sorry, your superiors in particular have a duty to correct you. Your boss has to say something if you keep being late for work. Your mom has to say something if you keep failing to do your chores. But also your inferiors and your equals have the right to correct you, to call you out and say, no, that's wrong. Christians should not be doing that. Think of the little girl, the little Israelite girl in Naaman's household. Naaman, this mighty Syrian military commander, the little Israelite girl says, there's a prophet in Israel who could heal you. Right? She rebukes him and he accepts it. So what do we do when we look at our lives and say, yeah, I exaggerate. 
yeah, there is so-and-so who I've been interpreting as my enemy and putting everything through that grid of hostility. Ooh, there's excuses from this guy that I've been listening to. What do we do when we're convicted about the sin of lying? And the answer, as with all the commandments, is to go to Jesus. His truth will remove your lies. His light will destroy your darkness. His love will heal your hate. Take your lies to the Lord and say, Lord, I've lied. I've listened to lies. I've told lies. I've ignored the truth, shaded the truth, resented the truth. Heal me so I love the truth. Jesus is the truth. And if you walk with him, you will learn how to speak the truth. Commit to him. He's true. There's no unrighteousness in him. Let's pray. Father, the tongue can no man tame. Only your son had no guile in his mouth. Pray that you would make us look like him. Send the spirit of truth into our hearts so that we can confess our sins and flee from them. So that we can speak the truth in love, building one another up. Father, help us to think the truth, to recognize reality, and to submit to reality. We pray these things in the name of Jesus the truth. Amen.